Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the opposition says the announcement of domestic vaccine production comes too late. We were late on rapid tests, late on vaccines, and each week the news gets worse in terms of Canada not receiving access from overseas and not having the capacity. We need vaccines to turn the corner on COVID-19. Health officials prepare to address new COVID-19 variants. With 150 detected, there might still be many more undetected because of course we're not sequencing every single case. We hope that's not true. We hope we've we've got a handle on what's here. Um, but even if the, you know if there are 150 and uh, the transmission rate is higher than with regular COVID and we're somewhat struggling to control regular COVID, it's, it's been hard. Um, I, I would say the chance that these are established or will establish very soon is pretty high, unfortunately. And the government is expected to add new names to the list of terrorist organizations. For the last, well, since 9-11, uh, people have thought only really in terms of foreign threats, shall we say, of whatever stripe. But it's become clear, certainly in the United States, that um, there are domestic threats as well from the right. It's Wednesday, February the 3rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Well, thanks for calling, Mark. The opposition is already criticizing the government over its announcement about creating vaccines within Canada at a facility in Montreal, saying it's too late. Uh, the government has acknowledged that it won't really make a difference in this round of vaccination of Canadians since the production won't start till towards the end of the year. But what do you make of this announcement? Is it as significant as the government is saying? Is it, as the opposition is saying, too late? Uh, well, it's a bit of both. I mean, it is significant that the, the government has recognized the threat that these global uh, pandemics pose to Canada. Um, but it's also apparent, I guess, from this, that it this particular vaccine and this production won't become available in time for this round of the pandemic, for this you know, version of COVID that is, um, you know, in Canada and in most parts of the world. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's nearly as great as the prime minister makes it out to be. And I don't think it's nearly as, um, you know, insignificant as the opposition claims. Ultimately, uh, do you think this will make a difference in the long run? I, I know that the science is still not clear on this, but there are people wondering if we'll continue to need to be vaccinated going forward, especially with the presence of potential variants of COVID-19 uh, in our country. Well, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from on this, Mark, because I don't think this is going away in the sense that, you know, this particular strain or the, the COVID-19, if you will, um, may get beaten down in Canada, you know, after a given amount of time with the vaccines that are becoming available from all the sources that are out there. Um, you know, Canada, like every other country, has been slow and uncertain in rolling out these vaccines and getting everybody uh, dealt with. But I don't think this is the end of it. I mean, we live in a global uh, economy and a global system. Uh, you know, once the airlines get ramped up again and everything, people are going to be traveling everywhere. And these pandemics are going to be part of our future. And, and I think it's going to become as routine almost as, as the flu shot that we're all familiar with. People consider that to be utterly routine. 
Um, and but certainly for seniors and a lot of other people, the flu shot's really, really important, and they get it every year. Um, and I think this might be the future for all of us that uh, other types of inoculations and vaccinations may be required going forward. And it's become clear that Canada needs the capacity to produce it domestically. What do you think of the government's handling of vaccination so far? It seems like there is an increasing amount of criticism, especially during a period when not a lot of Canadians are getting vaccinated. The numbers don't compare well on a per capita basis to other countries. Um, The criticism seems to be mounting. What do you think about that? Well, you know, people are frustrated. They're locked up in their houses. They can't behave in their normal ways. Their work's been disrupted, everything. The, the economy is, is very uncertain. Um, and people are just sick and tired of it. They want to move on. And, um, and so every delay presents another area of frustration. And, uh, you know, you have this mixed jurisdictional issue as well, where the feds are, uh, are organizing the importation of these vaccines, but the provinces are administering them. And, of course, every province is run by a politician. Uh, every one of those politicians wants to come out of this looking as good as possible or at least manageable uh, as possible. And, uh, you know, I watch the premiers on quite a bit on TV in the afternoons nowadays, like we all do. And, and they are always happy to try to transfer some of the blame to Ottawa. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, uh, this is an immensely complicated issue, and, you know, some countries are doing better, but I'd say it's one thing to perhaps, you know, inoculate everybody in Israel, a small population, a very small land area. Um, it's quite a different thing. Anything logistics in Canada is a more complicated challenge, especially in winter. So, um, you know, Ottawa could be doing better. Uh, the provinces could be doing better. And uh, I understand why people are complaining, but uh, it's still going to be a while to go before this gets uh, straightened away. One of the other measures, obviously, that's taking effect this week is the government's new travel restrictions. Uh, what's your sense of how that's going and how Canadians are responding to it? Well, you know, for the most part, I, mean, I saw a figure somewhere where there had only been a few uh, charges laid by the public health authority uh, of people who were breaking their uh, quarantine. That said, I know of and have witnessed people who come into, say, into Nova Scotia, or, uh, you know, who have been claiming to be quarantining but really aren't. And I'm sure that's going on all across Canada. And also, don't forget, there's a certain constituency out there that thinks this is all baloney and, uh, you know, it's uh, restrictions on personal freedoms, etc. And they're not cooperating very well. And, uh, and there are entitled people out there as well, as we've seen, who think the restrictions apply to everybody except them. So, uh, you know, this is we're dealing with human nature here, Mark. It's, it's every, you know, opinion and standpoint under the sun imaginable. Uh, that's come to the fore, and people are dealing with it in different ways. But I think one of the lessons uh, when we get this passed and we sit down to assess what was right and what was wrong, restricting travel and uh, imposing lockdowns and and social distancing and uh, all those measures uh, are what kept us from getting way worse even than it has. Yeah. And I know there there are some people who will say we should have put some of these measures in effect sooner, Um, but we'll never know about that. Well, we did. We did bring them in sooner and much more strictly here in Nova Scotia, and we had one new case yesterday. I think there's fewer than 10 total COVID cases 
in Nova Scotia right now. I, I might be one or two off there, but yeah. uh, you know, it's it, they're strict here, but uh, it's saving a lot of people. Yeah, same story in other places like Australia. Although I, I know there will be people who are, will argue that it's it's easier to do that on an island like Australia or in in uh, a, a place like Nova Scotia than say Ontario, and I, I understand that argument, but. Oh, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, trying to guard the Ontario or Quebec or Manitoba borders, it's almost impossible. Yeah. You know? All right. The other news we're hearing about today is uh, it's expected that Public Safety Minister Bill Blair will announce some new names of terrorist organizations, uh, of, of organizations that will be considered terrorist organizations by the Canadian government. What are you hearing and seeing about that? Well, I, I, I see that uh, Minister Blair is going to give a, a briefing and a bit of an announcement later on today. Um, you know, I guess we're all assuming this has something to do with the emergence of uh, right-wing extremism. You know, for the last, well, since 9-11, uh, people have thought only really in terms of, of, uh, of Muslim extremists or, you know, that sort of uh, threat. Uh, or foreign threat, shall we say, of, of whatever stripe. Uh, but it's become clear, certainly in the United States, that um, there are domestic threats as well from the right. And this increasingly extreme points of view of organizations like the Proud Boys, to, to name just one, uh, you know, they do exist in Canada. They, uh, they have members that are, have been found in the armed forces, for instance. Uh, which is a prime recruiting area for these right-wing extreme groups. Uh, the founder of the Proud Boys, Gavin McGinnis, is a Canadian. Um, you know, so these organizations uh, have shown, in the U.S. at least, uh, that they're capable of pulling off some pretty wild stuff. Uh, we saw that at the U.S. Capitol on January the 6th. But, um, you know, this is an emerging threat and something that the authorities are going to have to be careful of. And I think this new announcement just um, adds some tools and weapons in the federal government's uh, law enforcement uh, uh, arsenal that will enable them to uh, make it harder for these groups to spread. We'll identify them and, and raise them as a threat to the public uh, going forward. So, uh you know, I think Bill Blair and, and the Canadian authorities are catching up with uh, the types of uh, issues that the Americans are facing now every day. Mm. All right, Dan, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you so much for joining us. All right, well, thanks for calling, Mark. That's Dan Legere, longtime political writer and broadcaster. Two companies, Precision Nanosystems and Novavax, are now on track to manufacture vaccines right here in Canada. This is a major step forward to get vaccines made in Canada for Canadians. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star asks what the short-term plan is for vaccinations. The Star writes, Canada has struck a deal to produce a vaccine in this country, but not in time to make a dent in the pandemic that still has us in its grip. This is a long-term plan and the right thing to do. But the government needs to do a lot better in delivering on the vaccines needed to deal with our short-term crisis. In an editorial, the Toronto Sun argues, despite plans to produce COVID-19 vaccines in Canada, the Prime Minister is in the same place he was at the start. The Sun writes, we still have to rely on vaccine manufacturers in other countries to fulfill his promise that 3 million Canadians will be vaccinated by the end of March 
and that every Canadian who wants a vaccine will get one by the end of September. We agree with Justin Trudeau's long-term plan to set up an enhanced domestic vaccine manufacturing industry, but we also believe he's bungled the file. At globalnews.ca, Mike Smith asks if Canada's vaccine supply could be key to an early election call. Smith writes, Justin Trudeau is bearing up well in the polls, and his opponents are struggling. But he risks a voter backlash if the public perceives a snap election as nothing but a power grab. The other big risk is the disruption in the vaccine supply. Pollsters are reporting that Canadians are less than impressed with the vaccine rollout. But if vaccines start to flow again, I'd say he'll be looking to trigger an election he insists he doesn't want. In the Globe and Mail, Gary Mason argues Canadians are fed up with our response to the pandemic. Mason writes, People are sick and tired of this bloody disease, yes. But they've also had it with the incompetence of our political leaders, not to mention their shocking lack of spine. Let's face it, Canada has done a terrible job handling this crisis, and it's not because a majority of people haven't been prepared to make sacrifices. Most have. It's because our response has been a mishmash of false starts and half measures. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Privacy Commissioner will release a report this morning into the activities of a company called Clearview AI, which uses facial recognition technology and offers its service to a number of companies and police forces. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, many federal politicians and privacy advocates are awaiting the release of this report with great interest. Mark, at 11.30 a.m. in Ottawa, Canada's Privacy Commissioner, Daniel Therrien, will be joined by his counterparts from Quebec, British Columbia and Alberta to jointly release their findings of their investigation into the company Clearwater AI. The investigation stems from concerns raised in the media and also taken up by elected politicians that the company was collecting and using personal information of Canadians without their consent. Most of the personal information involved millions of images of individuals gathered without their knowledge or consent from social media and other sources and provided as a facial recognition program to law enforcement agencies and other companies. Clearwater AI, in June of last year, faced with the public concern and the Privacy Commissioner's investigation, stated that it had ceased these activities. Today's report is a result of that investigation, and it will answer the question as to how acceptable the practice is and what concerns it raises. The results will be shared with journalists by teleconference. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will virtually attend the Liberal caucus meeting and question period. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will hold a news conference following the NDP's virtual caucus meeting. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will take part in a virtual event organized by the Singapore Manufacturing Federation and the Canadian Chamber of Commerce in Singapore. Minister for Women Mariam Monsef will take part in a virtual announcement and panel discussion regarding support for black women and girls impacted by gender-based violence. And Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will participate in a virtual announcement from Three Rivers, Prince Edward Island. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, February the 3rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.